From WHYY in Philadelphia, this is Fresh Air Weekend. I'm Dave Davies. Today, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. She's known for playing Elaine on Seinfeld and Vice President Selena Meyer on Veep. Now she stars in the new film, You Hurt My Feelings. She also has a podcast called Wiser Than Me, where she asks older women to share their experiences and life lessons. One of the women she interviews is Jane Fonda. When did you know that it was like time to call it quits with a man? I usually know it, that the relationship should end when I begin fantasizing about their funerals. Also, we hear from Wanda Sykes. In her new Netflix comedy special, she talks about raising teenagers with her French wife and what it's like to live in the world after a pandemic, an insurrection, and George Floyd. And David B. and Cooley reviews a new documentary about Mary Tyler Moore. That's coming up on Fresh Air Weekend. This is Fresh Air Weekend. I'm Dave Davies. My guest, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, is probably best known for her work on the hit comedy series Seinfeld. But her career has shown a staying power and range few performers can match. Before Seinfeld, she was a cast member at Saturday Night Live. After Seinfeld, she starred in five seasons of The New Adventures of Old Christine and starred in and was executive producer of the acclaimed HBO series Veep, in which she played vice president and eternal presidential aspirant Selena Meyer for seven seasons. Louis Dreyfus is one of the most award-winning actors in television history, earning 11 Primetime Emmy Awards, eight for acting and three for producing, in addition to a Golden Globe Award and nine Screen Actors Guild Awards. She's made films, won the Mark Twain Prize for American Humor, and now hosts a new podcast called Wiser Than Me, which we'll talk about in a bit. And Julia Louis-Dreyfus stars in a new movie written and directed by Nicole Holof Center. It's called You Hurt My Feelings. Well, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, welcome back to Fresh Air. Thank you for having me. So let's talk about the new film. Um, this is you and Nicole Holof Center. You worked on another film, Enough Said, about 10 years ago. You know, when people write about the two of you, they, they use terms like two halves of the same person, cinematic alter egos. Do you find a special connection with, with her work? I do. Um, first of all, we're really good friends. And uh, yeah, I feel sort of joined at the hip with her creatively. And I love her voice as a writer. I, I, it speaks to me kind of on a deep level. Right. These are films about relationships, often mature relationships. Um, right. You want to describe your character in this new film, Beth? I play a woman uh, who is a writer. Her name is Beth. She has written a memoir some years back. It was uh, moderately successful. It wasn't a smash hit, but she is a teacher at the new school. She teaches writing. She's married to um, Don, played by the wonderful Tobias Menzies, who is a psychiatrist, a therapist, and they have a very good marriage. Um, they are very in sync with one another. They've been married a very long time. And she relies on him for his input about her material, as well as other aspects of her life. They are really um, entwined with each other in a way that's seemingly quite healthy, right? And so she's now just finished a pass at her next book, uh, which is a work of fiction. She's been working on it for quite a while. Um, she hasn't heard yet from her agent 
Uh, she's questioning why her husband is reassuring her what a marvelous book it is and has reassured her for quite a long time. He tells her how much he loves it, et cetera, et cetera. And so upon this, she relies. And, and then at a certain point in the movie, she overhears her husband telling someone else that, in fact, he hates the book or it doesn't like it and is uh, just really he just can't keep reading draft after draft after draft of it right and so the wheels fall off the bus at that point uh, so it knocks her out completely it's a complete game changer and her world is turned upside down that leads us to the clip I wanted to play which is the moment right after she has overheard her husband despite his assurances that she's doing wonderful work that he really yeah. didn't like the new book and so this is at a scene where uh, you and and your husband, Don, played by Tobias Menzies, are having dinner with another couple. And you're just so wounded by this that you just can't hold it in. So um, we'll listen to this. Uh, you as Beth speak first. You know, it's okay, Don. Honestly, you don't have to keep trying to make me feel better. Okay? Because I know it's super tedious for you. You got it. Done. Great. No. No, actually, you know what? Okay? That's not very nice. It's it's hurtful, what you just did. I'm sorry, are you saying that you're hurt? Yeah, don't, don't take it out on me. Take what out on you? Your frustration. I just, you know what? I just don't need you to lie to me anymore. Lie to you? Oh yeah. Oh my God, will you just stop? You know, you're behaving like a child. I heard you talking. I heard you talking to Mark. What are you talking about? Paragon. What? Sarah and I came in to say hi, and we overheard you guys. What? You, you spied on us? What? what? No. I mean, it was just for like a second for fun. We heard you talking. About what? About my work. Wait, hang on. Is it, that's what all this has been about? That's what all of this, all of this has been about. That's exactly right. I heard, I heard everything that you said. Okay, like, like what? Like that you hate my new book? What? I did not say that. That's... Are you kidding? Are you gonna gaslight me now? That's what it feels like. If, if I did? But you did. But you took it out of context. Oh, no. I just okay. I can't Wait, even okay. handle this. Okay, so that's what I was wondering. Sorry. All right, Sorry. Mark, Sorry. please, I'm, what? forgive me. You deserve Beth. to have a really nice dinner, and um, I'm Beth. sorry that you were fired from your job. Mm. And happy birthday. Beth. Thank you. Beth. And Beth leaves. She's speaking to the other call there. Boy, I feel the pain hearing that again. Yeah. And that scene comes after many scenes of her not confronting him and uh, trying to understand how to move on off of this. Yeah. You know, I think your performance there just seems so true to life. I mean, you're not exploding in rage. You're you're trying to suppress this and hold it together. Um I'm wondering if there's anything memorable about about preparing for or playing that scene. It is so affecting. It was such a hard scene to do because there's so much shame involved with it. You know, she's right. she really reveres her husband. Uh, and so for 
him to have withheld this information and to have told someone else, I mean, it feels like an infidelity. And it kind of is. And then in this moment, in this scene that we just heard, he is denying that he did it. So it's the complete uh, mind game. And I use a word, mind something, that you know what I mean, but I can't say it because we're on National Public Radio. And there is a thick frosting of shame over all of it. Right. So it was um, it was brutal. It, I don't know. It's just a, it was from an emotional point of view. It was it was brutal. Oh, and also the the guy that he told is her brother in law, right? And he's sitting there at the table. So there's this also this awful feeling that the two of them know they have this conversation, and she knows that they know, and they are withholding. So the whole thing just feels, you know. Yeah. Yucky. <laughs> Doubly dishonest and, and triply deceptive. I mean, um, yeah. what's interesting about this film, you know, it, it explores how much of our, our life partner's opinion of our work matters in a relationship. And, you know, for most people, your partner's work isn't visible, right? I mean, you could be a terrific therapist or lawyer or welder or auto mechanic, but we don't see what you're doing. But if you're writing books or if mm. you're acting as you are, this is yeah. you know, public-facing work. And, and you actually – your husband, Brad Hall, is also in the business, an actor and yes. writer. I don't know. Did this – did you relate to this character in this way? Do you guys talk about your work and wonder oh, yes. if you're being honest about the critiques? Well, I, I actually don't uh, – well, maybe I should. But I don't wonder about um, – uh, I, I I rely on him to be truthful, and maybe sometimes he has to be gingerly truthful. But um, uh, I I certainly rely on his point of view and opinion and all of his thoughts on anything I do. I mean I mean we're really in touch with each other about that, and I think he would say the same about me and his work. But I think the film is sort of it's definitely it's kind of a meditation on the truths and slightly not truths uh, that we tell our loved ones. And I also think it, it it's an interesting, uh, an, another idea that comes out of the film is, uh, are you your work? Who are you minus your work? Uh, is your worth completely tied to the work that you do? That's an interesting thing to consider, you know? Right, right. It is, yeah. You know, it's interesting. I mean, I, I do interviews and as I watched the film and read this, you know, my wife often listens to my interviews as she's as I'm washing the dishes and she usually says yeah. nice things and I I've always believed her, but now I wonder. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah. But does she ever give you criticism? Does she ever say, you know, I think you should have it might have been better if you had, you know, something like that? More like, you know, that wasn't a great guest. So um who knows? <laughs> <laughs> who knows? <laughs> Uh, oh God! I can. I need to know what she says after she hears our interview. I'll find a way to tell you. Um, <laughs> and 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 when people watch the film, they can see whether you know how well uh, you know Beth and Don get through this. There are other issues in their lives, but it's but it's a good film. Let me reintroduce you. We're going to take a break here. We're speaking with Julia Louis Dreyfus. She stars in the new film "You Hurt My Feelings," written and directed by Nicole Holoff Center. We'll hear more of our conversation after a break. And David Biancooley will review a new documentary about Mary Tyler Moore. I'm Dave Davies, and this is Fresh Air Weekend. 
My guest is Julia Louis-Dreyfus, known for seven seasons as Elaine Bennis on the hit series Seinfeld, and for her seven seasons playing vice president and constant presidential hopeful Selena Meyer on the HBO series Veep. She stars in a new film written and directed by Nicole Holofcener. It's called You Hurt My Feelings. You know, in 2018, you were awarded the Mark Twain Prize for American Humor at a, at a ceremony at, I guess, the Kennedy Center in, in Washington. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, your acceptance speech is just a, a gem. Um, people can look oh, it up. It's, it's 12 minutes. You can, it's worth the whole thing. But I'm, I thought we would just listen to some of the beginning of us. This is uh, you addressing this assembled um, group of celebrities and others as you're being awarded this prestigious prize. When Mark Twain first emailed me about the Mark Twain Prize, (laughs) I have to admit I totally misunderstood. I assumed that I was being asked to honor somebody else who was receiving the Mark Twain Prize, and I thought, oh my God, what a hassle. (laughs) I mean, seriously, who would put me through this? To have to go all the way to Washington, D.C., which, no offense, is a nightmare? and make up flattering things to say about how funny someone else is? No way. And then uh, I reread the email and I realized, oh, it's me. They're giving it to me, I get the prize. And my attitude about the whole thing changed. It really did. I don't know, honestly. I really don't know what I was thinking. This is a great night and a great honor and in beautiful Washington, D.C., no less. Anybody would be lucky to be a part of a night like this honoring somebody like me, right? Um, As a great fan of the work of Mark Twain, I was so sorry when I recently learned he was dead. (laughs) My my thoughts and prayers go out to the whole Twain family, especially the wonderful Shania. And that is our guest, Julia (laughs) Louis-Dreyfus, accepting the Mark Twain Prize for American humor. Um, As I said, uh, it's 12 minutes and it's worth finding the whole thing. You know, I I was just enjoying it so much as I... As I watched it, it, it didn't dawn on me. My, my producer, Heidi Saman, kind of pointed out that that's kind of a Selena Meyer take on things, isn't it? Was that conscious on your part? Uh, <laughs> well, here's the thing. <laughs> here's a little window. It was kind of true. <laughs> oh, it was also got, true. <laughs> it was also true. I got a letter, you know, uh, <laughs> from the Kennedy Center uh, saying this thing about the Mark Twain. I'm like, oh, my God, I, I can't go to D.C. And, and I, who are they honoring? <laughs> it's me. And then I thought, oh, I can't believe that I just did that. And I, uh, we have to fold that in. We have to open that way because it was real. Yeah, uh-huh. You know, you were surrounded by just a ton of, like, you know, obviously people who adore you and friends and family and and collaborators, but also mm. great comedians, you know, many of whom had received the award. Did you feel a pressure that you really kind of had to kill in this speech? 
oh, my God, I felt such pressure. I thought I was going to die. Nobody was happier than me once I'd finished that speech. I I was – there's a – if you watch it on YouTube, there's a – like a lectern there. And I had my hand on it almost the entire time because I was so uh, nervous that I thought I would fall over. <laughs> uh, you know, it was a really – it's a wow. huge room. I think there was like 2,500 people in there or something. And I was c- exceptionally aware of the company that I was in, i.e. prior recipients. And, you know, <laughs> if they're giving you a prize for humor, uh, you better kill it. Wow. You know what I'm saying? And so it was I definitely felt the pressure. Do you remember when you first discovered you could get a laugh from friends, family and Um yeah, I mean when I was about 3 years old, I stuck some raisins up my nose and and <laughs> uh and showed my mom and I think she chuckled and I got a good laugh, and then I inhaled them, and we went to the emergency room. So, um, and I had them extracted. I remember the emergency room part particularly wow. well, um, right? But, um, but I got the laugh. So there's that. A star is um, born. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, when you were on the show with us um, ten years ago, we talked about your career, about how. You know, you were at Saturday Night Live at a very young age, and it wasn't a great time for you. You know, you kind of had trouble getting on the air, and there you met Larry David, who was having trouble getting his stuff on the air, and kind of that relationship led to to Seinfeld. Um, one of the things that you know, I read in in preparing for this was how you know you kind of learned you had to push to get um, you know to get your material on and respected. And in Seinfeld, there was that that physical thing you would do in some scenes where when <laughs> somebody would say something got rageous, you would give them a huge push and say, get out. Is that something that you came up with? Is it related to that, you know, needing to be assertive? Well, I don't know if it's related to needing to be assertive, but yeah, it's something I came up with in rehearsal and everybody seemed to think it was funny. So it sort of got written in over time. Um, it's funny to think about it from an, uh, being assertive point of view. I have to ruminate on that, but perhaps it's born out of a emotional need, <laughs> but, but, uh, it also got a laugh. You know, you know, a few people will be in a project that has the lasting impact of that show. And it's interesting that there's a whole new generation of people who are seeing all these things again and again. And, of course, it's on television all the time. You know, I, I'm on Instagram, and they're always sending me these little videos. And whenever there are video clips of scenes from Seinfeld that I've seen before, I still watch them. I mean, it's still fun for me. I, I, yeah. Is it for you? I mean, this Yeah, it is. I get those clips on my Instagram, too. And sometimes I watch them. I, yeah, I mean, it's a fun, you know, funny's funny. And, uh, I mean, I don't sit down and watch episodes and things. I'm particularly drawn to the blooper reels. Those just take me back. You know, it's, I mean, that really, I I still howl laughing watching some of that stuff. I really do. Uh, But, um, you know, the show holds up. What can I tell you? I wanted to talk about this new podcast that you have called Wiser Than Me. Um, Yeah. I'm impressed with it. You want to explain the premise? It was born out of a, a sort of a desire that I had. Um, I had watched the Jane Fonda documentary on HBO, and I was really 
quite struck by the enormity and the scope of Jane Fonda's life. And I thought, you know, we're not hearing enough from older women. Why are we not documenting these older women who have had so much life experience? And I sort of thought about that a lot. And I thought, I want to talk to older women and get their wisdom, get their sort of tips from the front lines of life. And so this idea was born. And that's exactly what I'm doing. I'm talking to older women. And the conversation is really through the lens of, tell us what you know, um, uh, please. <laughs> and I, I don't know, I'm finding it very sort of inspiring myself. I'm enjoying it. Right. Well, I, you know, Jane Fonda is the first interview um, at, yeah. at 85. And it, yeah. it is pretty remarkable what she reveals. I mean, very candid stuff about, you know, body image and sex at 85. And, you know, yeah. she you ask her about plastic surgery. She says, I got it and I regret it. Um, mm. Was there some wisdom that, that particularly resonated with you as you listened to her tell her story? Oh, as I listened to Jane? Yeah. God, nothing but. Uh, no is a complete sentence is a particularly lovely one, I think. I think uh, she rightfully points out that <laughs> being young is hard. And being in your your 20s and even your 30s, that can be really hard. Uh, you know, particularly because you're supposed to be sort of, there's this uh, societal pressure to feel as if, you know, you're at the top of your game, everything's possible, anything, you know, it's all happening because it's youth, 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 when in fact... There are challenges to being young. You know, she is talking about life in three acts, uh, first, second, and third, and the first one being, you know, zero to 30 and, and so on. And so she was reflecting back on these different acts of her life, and I just was completely mesmerized. Yeah. I adore her. It, I adore her. It, yeah, it really is absorbing listening. You mentioned that one of the things she said that, that impressed you was no is a complete sentence. What's the mm. thought there? Well, I think it's a particularly good bit of advice for a woman um, because I think as women we sort of apologize. And I don't know that we need to. No, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry. I can't. No, no, I'm sorry. What, you know, whatever it is. And I think just to be able to say no, and that's acceptable, is something to absorb. And it doesn't always apply necessarily, but sometimes you need to stick to your guns. And no is a is a complete sentence, and I like that. You know, the other thing in this podcast is we learn a fair amount about you because you listen to answers and connect with your own life. And Jane Fonda talks about kind of doing a, an assessment often around age 60 of, you know, where you are and where you're going. And you volunteered that you not so many years ago. Talk to your mom. I think it was on the occasion of your father's birthday. Your father was quite a formidable character and a force in your life, although your parents divorced when you were pretty young. And you and your mom went into therapy together to talk about your relationship, childhood. You want to, if you're comfortable, share a bit of what that led to? It was really a complete blessing to be able to do this with my mother. My mother's 89, and to, you know, have. Um, the opportunity to do a little bit of therapy together was, um, it opened up doors for me. It was a new way of thinking about her, about me, about my life in general, and the idea that you can still look within and you can still review as you get older is 
uh, you don't have to be stuck. You're not stuck. You can always explore and you should always explore and you should always review. What's wrong with that? A, a reflection and introspection has a, an enormous benefit to it. All right. Well, we, we hope you uh, stay happy, healthy, and, and we're looking forward to more of your work. Um, Thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for speaking with us again. You bet. Julia Louis-Dreyfus stars in the new film You Hurt My Feelings, written and directed by Nicole Holof Center. Actress Mary Tyler Moore, who died in 2017 at age 80, is the subject of a new two-hour documentary. It's called Being Mary Tyler Moore, and it's now showing on HBO and on Max, HBO's streaming service. Our TV critic David Cooley has this review. As an actress, Mary Tyler Moore is most famous for playing indelible, very funny, and significantly modern everyday women in two excellent TV sitcoms. First, she won Emmys in the 60s as housewife and mother Laura Petrie on The Dick Van Dyke Show, and then again in the 70s as single working woman Mary Richards on The Mary Tyler Moore Show. In their way, those were groundbreaking roles. But she also challenged barriers elsewhere, succeeding both on Broadway and in the movies, when at the time, television stars seldom succeeded in crossing over to theater or film. And in her private life, which for the most part she kept private, she had a complicated childhood, three marriages, and her own sometimes troubling family issues, including her mother's alcoholism and, eventually, her own. Being Mary Tyler Moore, a new HBO documentary directed by James Adolphus, manages to touch all these bases, some more deeply than others. One of the executive producers of this program is Robert Levine, Moore's third husband, who provides all manner of home movies and other material. The results aren't always flattering, but they do illuminate some of the connections between the actress's private life and the roles she played, and some of the battles she fought or chose not to fight, in pursuing her career. The approach Adolphus takes as director is to have no narration and to rely instead on vintage TV clips and new audio interviews. Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Oprah Winfrey, Felicia Rashad, and others talk about the impact of Mary Tyler Moore's TV roles on their own careers. But they're only heard, not seen. The TV clips are more valuable. One, the first on-screen dramatic role of her career, has her playing a telephone operator named Sam in a TV series called Richard Diamond, Private Detective, starring David Jansen, later of The Fugitive. She only appeared for a while before being replaced, but caused quite a stir. As Sam, she always was at her telephone switchboard, but her face was never seen, only her legs and the back of her head. I've been looking for a sample of this for a long time, and here one finally is, giving David Jansen's private eye a wake-up call with her low-register phone voice. Um, Who's this? This is Richard Diamond of the Disintegrating Diamonds. Well, at least you're awake. Don't take any money on it, Samuel. You wanted me to make sure you were up. She's due at your home in about five minutes. Who's due? Dorian Crane. She lives on the right side of the tracks in Beverly Hills. What side is that? In the documentary, Mary Tyler Moore reveals why she was replaced in that role. She had asked for a raise. 
Another piece of vintage television, revisited several times, is from a 1966 interview with TV host David Susskind. She's at the height of her Dick Van Dyke show popularity then, and a high-profile actress. And Susskind hits her with a line of questioning that is joltingly sexist. How can a woman be wed to two forces in life? In other words, uh, you're only half married if you're in show business, because that demands so much of your ego, so much of your investment of your energy. I don't think so. I think I could waste an awful lot more energy sitting at home having nothing to do other than just talk with the girls about what gossip they've heard or uh, just chase after the kids instead of spending time with my son because I know we don't have as much time as most parents and children have. I make good use of that time. As we go chronologically through her career, some of the stops seem too superficial. The Dick Van Dyke Show, created by Carl Reiner, was much more significant than the time it's given here. And even the excerpts from the episodes could have showcased the series and Mary Tyler Moore much better. The Mary Tyler Moore Show is treated more skillfully. Clips are chosen from that show that reflect on her relationship with her real father or that contain all the expected highlights. But while MTM Productions, which launched with the Mary Tyler Moore Show, changed television completely and is more than worthy of its own documentary, that's more the story of Moore's second husband, Grant Tinker. He ran the company, which eventually produced The Bob Newhart Show, Lou Grant, Hill Street Blues, and St. Elsewhere. Moore says in this documentary she was never interested in producing or directing, just dancing and acting. But in crafting and approving the concept for her own series, she did launch all those ships. One of its creators, James L. Brooks, recalls how it wasn't smooth sailing from the start. He and his writing partner, Alan Burns, pitching the first original concept for Mary Richards and for all of MTM Productions, had her moving to Minneapolis after getting divorced. That idea was dead on arrival at CBS. We were two guys in an office for a company that hadn't happened yet, kicking around ideas. I don't think there'd been a divorced woman yet on television. We went to CBS to pitch with Grant, maybe 20 executives, the big boss there, and we told them this idea, and they were polite, and they asked us to step out of the room. We found out later they told Grant to fire us. They had three rules that couldn't happen on a CBS show at the time. Jews, somebody with a mustache, or a divorced woman. The Mary Tyler Moore Show was as barrier-busting in its way as the outspoken humor of All in the Family and the anti-war sentiment of M.A.S.H. All those shows, by the way, eventually ended up on the same Saturday night of programming on CBS, paired with The Bob Newhart Show and The Carol Burnett Show. Then and now, it remains the best night of television in television history. And this documentary, Being Mary Tyler Moore, helps you appreciate the show and the actress even more. David Biancooley is a professor of television studies at Rowan University. Coming up, we hear from comedian and actor Wanda Sykes. She has a new Netflix comedy special called I'm an Entertainer. I'm Dave Davies, and this is Fresh Air Weekend. Tanya Mosley has our next interview. I'll let her introduce it. My guest today is veteran comedian Wanda Sykes. She has a new comedy special on Netflix titled I'm an Entertainer, where she takes on everything from raising teenagers with her French wife to the dilemmas of living in a hypercharged political climate. 
I'm an Entertainer follows Wanda Sykes' 2019 Emmy-nominated Netflix comedy special, Not Normal. Sykes got her first big break opening for Chris Rock in the 90s, and since then, she's been nominated for 14 primetime Emmys with a win for Outstanding Writing for a Variety or Music or Program for her work on The Chris Rock Show. Sykes has starred in dozens of television shows and films, including Curb Your Enthusiasm, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Blackish, and Mel Brooks's History of the World Part II. Some of her films include Pootie Tang, Monster in Law, and Ugly Dolls. Sykes currently stars in and is the executive producer of the Netflix show The Upshaws. And last year, Sykes co-hosted the Academy Awards with Regina Hall and Amy Schumer. And this year, she guest-hosted Comedy Central's The Daily Show. Sykes' new Netflix special, I'm an Entertainer, debuts this week. And Wanda Sykes, welcome to Fresh Air again. Why, thank you. Nice to be here. Well, that pootie tang just never goes away, huh? Right. I mean, and you know, you always have to say pootie tang. You got to do a little that. accent to I, it. I think that's why it always ends up in my intro, because people just like saying pootie tang. Your new special, I'm an Entertainer, was filmed in Philadelphia, and Mm -hmm. it was the first time you'd been back out on a live show circuit since the start of the pandemic. You actually joke that catching COVID and quarantining in the guest room kind of wasn't so bad. Let's listen. You know, first two days were a little rough. I'm isolating in the guest bedroom, you know, so my wife couldn't bother me. My kids couldn't bother me. So on that third day, I was like, How can I get some of that long COVID? (laughs) This agrees with me. This feels like me time. That was a clip from Wanda Sykes' new Netflix special, I'm an Entertainer. Wanda, do you you miss that me time? Oh, my God, I do. I really do. Um, Like I was telling you, I, you know, uh, this week I've been suffering with with allergies, just, you know, just uh, feverish and, a cough that just won't stop and um, achy. So I took a, a test and I, I wouldn't have been mad if it came up positive, <laughs> to be honest with you. Peace, family. I got to go in this little guest room again. I you know, and, and, and even this morning, I knew I was coming here. I was like, let me take another test just to make sure. And it's not that I didn't want to come come here and do this, but you know, my my wife was asking me like, so what what are you planning on making for dinner? You know, and my, and my daughter had a a thing at school, you know, a little award ceremony I had to go to, and again, I'm just looking at that little COVID machine going, mm, I'm you know, I won't be mad, I won't be mad if it's positive. But see, do you feel like we can't like? Any other illness, it's like you still got to go on with right. life. COVID right. is the only yes. one where you uh-huh. you can actually yeah. rest. Right. Yeah. Co- COVID <laughs> shuts everything down. You just tell people, you know, you know, you got COVID. It's over. It's a wrap. Right. They got to leave you alone. Yeah. It's it's you're like safe. You're a home base. You're safe. They can't mess with you. You have twins. Yes. Are they 13 years old? Now? They're 14. Now. 14 now. Mm-hmm. Do they think you're funny? Because that's a hard age. They do. They. My son thinks I'm. He thinks I'm really funny. My daughter. She's a. Th- she's a 14 year old girl. She doesn't. She just doesn't care. In the special, I think you said something care. like, "Like she's like Beyonce in front of you guys yeah. as you're walking down the street." Yeah. yeah. But she's she's super smart, and you know she she's she's not going to give it up. That's what it is. She's like she's a little hard. She's she's harder. To impress. 
in the special, I'm an entertainer. You talk a little about what it's like to raise white children. You joke about it. Mm -hmm. I want to play a clip of a story you tell when your son, Lucas, asked for a snake. Let's listen. My son, Lucas, he's been uh, begging me for a snake. Yeah, that's what he, for years. For years, a snake, yeah. Yeah, mommy boo, can I please have a snake? Yeah, they still call me mommy boo because they're racist, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, Lucas, you're not getting a snake. Every Christmas, mommy, every birthday, can I have a snake? And I finally just snapped. I was like, look, Lucas, you're not getting a snake. And he's like, why? I said, because I'm just not going to let you be that white. <laughs> And then I had to break it down for him. I said, look, man, you, you, you have a black mother, okay? Black women just don't tolerate stupid <laughs> I mean, getting a snake and bringing it in the house and calling it a pet, that's dumb. That's just dumb. I know what else you're not gonna do? Extreme sports, you can forget about that. I ain't buying you a bike and then you up there flipping all up in the air. That, that's not the way that bike is supposed to be written. You ain't doing that. That's a clip from the Wanda Sykes Netflix comedy special, I'm an Entertainer. Uh, Wanda, there's a part in the special where you also joke that in your will, you wrote that they're going to have to change their names to black, <laughs> black names <laughs> in order to get an inheritance. Rashad and Laquisha. <laughs> Laquisha. Yeah, name your 13-year-old Laquisha. Then I want to see what, what happens with her. Do you joke with them about this kind of stuff at home? Do you say this kind of stuff? Um... Not really. Honestly, yeah, we, we don't. It, it's I, I think the stage for me is is my therapy session. It's where I, I can talk about it, you know. But at home, no, we don't. We, we're just the, just the family at home. You've mentioned that you're raising them in the way that you were raised um, in the hopes that maybe they're aware of their white privilege. How do you how do you do that? Yeah, I mean it's, I because I I don't know any other you know any other way to to raise them. I don't know if I don't know if, if white people raise their kids saying, "Now look, you know you can cut the line, right?" You know I don't know. You know what I'm saying? I don't I don't know if there is there a white handbook where you know what I'm saying it's like it's like the talk where you know black parents give their kids about when you get pulled over from the police. Yeah, pulled over. Um, by, by the police, how to behave. I'm, you know, it's like I'm, I'm about to give my kids that talk, and I go, wait a minute, do I, I don't need to do this. They're mm -hmm. white. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I, I could t tell Olivia, hey, if the cops pull you over, just start crying. <laughs> they'll let you go. You're white. You're a beautiful young white girl. Just cry, and they'll let you go. That's, I mean, at least that's what I think. That's the way it works, you know. In this latest special, you mentioned how you knew you were gay from the time you were in third grade, mm -hmm. but you didn't come out to your parents until you were 40. How did you come out to them? I think I was having surgery. And, and my, I think they were, they were coming uh, to be with me for the surgery. And I, and I just had to say, look, my roommate is not my roommate. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Was this when you were getting your uterine fibroid surgery? I, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Did did they have an inkling? I you would think so, but uh, no. Yeah, yeah. You joke a lot about your wife, who is French. Mm -hmm. 
I find it so funny because you always fall into this accent and like you're from the 1950s holding a cigarette, you know, like how they hold yeah, cigarettes, right, you know. Right. Um, she doesn't even smoke. I just, that's just how are I you portray. Serious? No, she doesn't smoke. I just, I, <laughs> she goes, will you just say I don't smoke, please? And I'm like, oh, I, it's kind of funny though. You know? But she, she loves it. She loves that I talk about her, you know. You married in 2008. Mm-hmm. How did you meet? Uh, we met. Uh, Fire Island, New York, on the way to Cherry Grove on the ferry. I saw her on the ferry, but then we met later, uh, I think like the next day on the on the island. Yeah. You saw so, her and, and you knew it was something there. Yeah. yeah. It was like, I just, I, I knew. I heard something. And I'm going to sound crazy here, but honestly, I heard uh, the voice of my, uh, of my dead therapist. And this was the therapist that I only spoke with her on the phone. Uh, she only did, did like phone you know, therapy. Phone, phone therapy. She only did phone therapy. So I never saw it. I no, have no idea how what she looked like or anything. And she had passed like I'm gonna say at least six months or something like that. And uh, and I was on the ferry and I looked back and I saw this woman with a, a talking to a woman holding a, 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 a baby and she was playing with this baby so I thought I thought they were together I thought it was a, a you know a, a, a family. family I thought it was a family and something said hey Wanda that's that's what you need and I was like you're dead what the hell why are you <laughs> wow yeah is it true that Larry David tricked you into um, being on Curb Your Enthusiasm I don't like to audition. I, I I don't get the part if I audition. I'm the worst at auditioning. I mean, I I just don't know how to do it. I'm never myself. I'm I, yeah, it's awful. So my my friend Sandy, she was a producer on the show at the time, and she said, she said, look, um, I want you just 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 come over here and just meet Larry. He just wants to meet you. I'm like, all right. She said, look, we're we're shooting over at this car dealership, and you're. Your office is around the corner, so just come over. This will be a good time to come over. So I get to the car dealership, and I walk in, and I see, like, six other black women sitting in this dealership but in chairs. And I look, and I was like, uh, that's odd. So black women woke up and decided they wanted to a Toyota. Yeah, they decided they, wanted, they, they needed a, a, a Toyota today. What the hell? And then one of them I recognized, and I just looked at looked at Sandy like, you, are, "Are you setting me up?" You know, and she was like, "Just don't, no, don't worry about, it. don't worry about these people. She, just, just go say hi. Just go on in." So I walk in and you know say hi to Larry and tell him how much I love the show and you know the Seinfeld fangirl thing. And he goes, "Okay, here's the situation. You're out. You're best friends with my wife, and you're you're walking down the street. You're out for your morning walk, and I drive by and I say, hey." I know that tush anywhere. And I was like, well, why the hell would you say something like that? I said, that's that's rude. And and he and I just go in off on him and he's just laughing. He goes, Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's she that's this is the one. Send them home. This is this is the one. This is the one. That's so great. Cause the show is like it's is it mostly ad lib? It's yeah. Yeah. They'll they'll give you the story points and just like so they'll just say, Hey, you need to mention this or say this place, say you have to be here about a certain time. Just things that, that you definitely need to keep the story moving, but the rest of it is just ad lib. Yeah. 
In 2020, you were also nominated for an Emmy for playing the comedian Moms Mabley in an episode of Amazon Prime's The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Let's listen to a clip. I'm not pregnant. I'm not. But I don't like no old man. I don't give a damn what color he is. for me but bring me a message from a young man. <laughs> That's all he can do. I don't want nothing old but some old money. <laughs> I married an old man when I was nothing but a child. Nothing but a child. 15 years old. That was a curse back in my day. <laughs> you had to marry who your parents picked out for you. My daddy picked out this old man. Old man. My daddy liked him. My daddy should have married him. They say you shouldn't say nothing about the dead unless it's good. He's dead. That's good. One weekend I say him, I say, go out to the country. You know anything about the country? He says, sure. I, I, I know about the country. When, when I was a young boy, I used to live in the country. I said, when you was a young boy, everybody lived in the country. <laughs> That was a clip of Wanda Sykes playing comedian Mobs Mabley in an episode of the Amazon Prime's Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Were you a fan of Mobs Mabley oh growing my up? Gosh, she means the world to me. I mean, I wouldn't be here if it weren't for Mobs. And I was just fascinated, just fascinated by this this old black woman who kind of dressed like my, my big mama and, uh, you know, just... I just thought she was the funniest thing, and yeah, it just stayed with me. Like even in college, my um, my uh, sorority sisters they always like laugh and stuff because they were like, remember how you know at the you know a few beverages, um, I would just turn into this old lady and just <laughs> would just you know be like, come here, girl, let me you know just just saying all kind of crazy stuff, and yeah. Yeah, I, listening to it, I was like, oh, I dropped right there. I can oh, hear it. You can I can hear. hear I can hear when I, when I drop. I was like, Hey, mom's mom. Ah, it is Wanda. Hey, mom. Yeah. 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 Can you tell us about the first time you saw Mom's Mabley I or mean, heard her? I was a I was a kid. I I remember sitting on the floor, my you know, in front of the TV at my grandmother's house, and you know, my grandmother's on the sofa, Big Mama, my great you know, gr- uh, great grandmother's. In a rocking chair, and we're just—I don't know. If, I, I think it was the Smothers Brothers, mm. because my—it was the Smothers Brothers. Because my um, my great grandmother, Big Mama, she didn't get that it was a bit that the that Dickie would always pick on Tom. Yeah, she didn't get it, so she would just fuss like, "Boy, if I tell you, he was my <laughs> baby, boy, I would, boy, I would." Bust his head over. He just so mean to him. He should. I don't know why they mama let that boy grow up and be that mean to his brother. That ain't nice. That in in front of everybody. And so I yeah, it must have been the Smothers Brothers because because when Mom's Mabley came out, we were just all of us were just laughing, 
and I and I and then I remember like watching them laugh at her and going, "Oh man, you know, I want to do that. I want to make my grandmother laugh like mm-hmm. that." This is yeah. You know what's interesting about her is that she was so popular during that time, mm-hmm. um, but she rarely comes up in in modern day when we talk yeah. about comedians. Yeah, she should. She's always at the top of my list. Always at the top of my list, and she was so involved, uh, uh, you know, uh, politically and and uh, and and you know, um, equality. I mean, she she went to the White House. They had a, I guess it was a summit, you know, and and she was there, big and organizing that. Um, I, I think that's when Eartha Kitt got in trouble. Oh, yeah, that one. yeah, I think yeah. it was that one. But um, yeah, so. She, yeah, she's huge, huge to me. means the world to me. Wanda Sykes, thank you so much. Well, thank you. This has been a pleasure. It has. I enjoyed it. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Wanda Sykes' new comedy special, I'm an Entertainer, is now on Netflix. She spoke with Fresh Air's co-host, Tanya Mosley. Fresh Air Weekend is produced by Teresa Madden. Fresh Air's executive producer is Danny Miller. Our technical director and engineer is Audrey Bentham. Our interviews and reviews are produced and edited by Amy Sallett, Phyllis Myers, Roberta Shorrock, Sam Brigger, Lauren Krenzel, Heidi Saman, Anne-Marie Baldonado, Thea Challoner, Seth Kelly, and Susan Yakundi. Our digital media producer is Molly C.V. Nesper. For Terry Gross and Fresh Air's co-host Tanya Mosley, I'm Dave Davies.